Oh, okay. Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome back into the Deep Dive Bible Study. My name is Tim, I am your host, and we are in, what are we in? We're in part five of the Deep Dive, and we're going through the Kings of Compromise, a series through the books of First and Second Kings. I am so glad that you are here. Today we talk about one of the most important spiritual gifts that you can find in the church, in the home, in the government, in the world. The problem is it's also the most boring sounding spiritual gift that you can mention. It's the gift of, wait for it, administration. See, I told you it sounds boring, but this gift is also one of the most important gifts that you can have in your life and wherever you are, and you might have it, you might not even know it. So stay tuned as we get into the Kings of Compromise, part five. Yes, 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 yes. Welcome in, everybody. I am so glad to bring this content to you, and I especially love teaching the Bible through passages like what we're going to see today. And the reason why is because last week we talked about 1 Kings chapter 3. And if we go to the Bible cam here, when we talked about that, we were looking at Solomon's request for wisdom. Remember the blank check moment? Who doesn't want a blank check moment from God? But then you get to the passage about the two prostitutes and he makes that stellar decision, right? Divide the baby in two is this most amazing moment. A lot of people love 1 Kings chapter 3. But then if you turn the page, as often happens in the Bible, to 1 Kings chapter 4, your interest in the text, if you're like most people, plummets. It's like a stock crash, right? Because it's basically a flowchart of Solomon's kingdom. There's a bunch of names you can't pronounce. There's a bunch of boring titles given. There's a bunch of administrative details that we're going to see here in chapter 4 of 1 Kings. But listen... There is a spiritual and practical truth for us here. And this is why we go verse by verse through the book of the Bible, every book of the Bible, because every word of God breathes life into us. Please understand that. There is not a single word in the scriptures that is not God breathed, not profitable, not helpful, not able to help you, grow you, develop you, your church, your business, your family, your very life. So let's begin by looking at 1 Kings chapter uh, 4 as we go through the text. Okay, right to the Bible camp. Let's go. So here's where we are. King Solomon was king, and notice what it says here, over all Israel. Over all. Over all. This is important because we are going to see him unpack administrative duties as he reigns over Israel. And these were his high officials, Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest, Elihoreph, and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, were secretaries. <laughs> I told you, this is very difficult to pronounce. Um, Jehoshaphat, not the Jehoshaphat you'll hear about later on in the book of Kings. Uh, the son of Ahilud was recorder. Benaiah, that was David's general. The son of Jehoiada was in command of the army. Zadok and Abiathar were priests. Azariah, the son of Nathan, was over the officers. Zabud, the son of Nathan, was priest and king's friend. Ahishar was in charge of the palace. And Adoniram, the son of Abda, was in charge of forced labor. Well, if that text doesn't just totally touch your heart, I don't know what one will. 
<laughs> okay, here, here's what we have to understand. There is great truth to be unearthed in these texts. Solomon's wisdom, chapter three, he, is, he requests wisdom. God says, I'm giving it to you. You're going to have wisdom like no man has ever had before. And it really gets exciting because the two prostitutes come and you have that great story about dividing the baby in half. And then the real mother steps up and says, save the baby, give it to her, blah, 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 blah. We talked about that last time. But this time in chapter four, we see that wisdom is portrayed in an entirely different scenario. And this scenario is the gift of administration. Uh, administration is developing leaders, putting the right people in the right place for the organization, country, family to operate as it should be run. And there's a couple of notes that we can make about this text, and I'm going to go to uh, the screen text now this time, not the Bible cam, but the screen text. It says King Solomon, again, was overall Israel. He names the official, uh, officials. A couple of things I want you to see here. First off, do you see Abiathar there is mentioned by name, and Abiathar was the priest that he removed, if you remember correctly, from chapter two, and it fulfilled the word of the Lord concerning Eli's family of priests. Well, here he is listed as a priest. Now, there's two answers to why he's listed. He, he, either, number one, he's listed because he just had a short-term role in Sol Solomon's kingdom, or, or secondly, perhaps it is that he was reinstated because Solomon's wisdom, newly given wisdom, um, is exercised in mercy and restraint. And so where you have Solomon offing all of David's enemies in chapter two, now that he's received wisdom from God, he's not in the business of offing enemies anymore. He's actually in the business of maybe reestablishing people, maybe giving people a second chance. That might be the case. We don't know. The scripture does not teach us that. But the point of the matter is, is that we see delegation of responsibilities. If you want to get the good lessons from this text, see yourself as Solomon here for a moment. Everyone has a realm of responsibility. You might have a responsibility in your home. You might have a responsibility in your workplace. Maybe you're not the boss. Maybe you're second in command. Maybe you're very low on the totem pole. But, but listen to what happens to Solomon. Look at how he administrates here because I believe that God gives people the gift of administration. You might have it. You might not have it. But, but regardless of whether or not you have it, pay attention today because it's going to help you if you can find people who do have it to help you. Good leaders find and empower others to take ownership of the aspects of their leadership, their domain, their their authority. Okay, you you need to see Solomon doing this. And that's that brings me to my second point here, which is that Solomon does not do everything. Solomon does not do it all. Uh, are you a control freak? Are you the kind of person that needs to have everything in your own hands? You need to control every child in your family. You need to control every employee in your business. You need to control everybody on the board of directors, whatever. You've got to watch out for this. This is not a biblical mindset. And we're going to see that as we go through this text. And we're going to see it somewhere else very famously in the book of Exodus. You cannot do it all and you are not supposed to do it all. You are not Christ. You are not the Savior. You need others to help you and to do things that you cannot do. Okay, this is very important for anyone in leadership. And I hope I've got business leaders and employers listening to me today because this is for you. Then look at verse five when it says Zabad, uh, the son of Nathan, was the priest and king's friend. Okay, just a couple of things here. Solomon had a friend. Just notice that for a second. Solomon had a friend in his cabinet. Leaders need friends. Don't isolate. Don't get alone. And you need to work with your friends. I am privileged to be able to work with my friends, my best friends. Okay, I love it because it makes the job great. 
Now, some of you can't choose who you work with, and I understand that, but you can choose them eventually. If you work hard enough in any industry, eventually you will climb the ladder. Eventually you might get to a place where you can surround yourself with the people that you want. If you take responsibility and you're trustworthy and your boss sees it, he will give you authority, he will give you responsibility to have people around you that you like. Take that opportunity and make sure if you're in charge of any organization or anything, you have a friendship. This is so important as well for people who are looking to get married. Don't just look at looks. Don't just look at their job. Don't just look at, you know, of course you want to look at their spiritual life and that is very important, but also are you friends with this person? Because you know, life is long when you're married. If you can't be friends with them when you're dating, you won't be friends with them when you're married. So surround yourself with people that you like. I always go back with my church to Mark chapter 3:15 when it says that God that Jesus drew to himself those whom he wanted. In other words, he brought the people in that he liked. He liked Peter, James, John. He liked Simon. He liked Bartholomew. These are guys that he he felt a a consonance with. So so that is also true for you leaders need people to work with them and for them and it's not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing to have someone who is in the business and your friend with you. Now, just a couple of other things that we want to see here is that it says uh, Adoniram, the son of Abda, was in charge of forced labor. Okay, a couple things about that. Uh, it's teaching us something that we have to see, which is going to be the case for Solomon going forward. There are seeds of the kingdom's downfall here in the early part of Solomon's ascendancy. And one of those seeds is that he is going to put way too much pressure on the people. This will be one of the complaints that the people bring to his son Rehoboam, and then it will lead to the, the, the civil um, division of Israel. But right here, already in chapter 2, actually, if we go back, remember, chapter 2 began with Solomon doing what? Look at chapter 2 of 1 Kings. Uh, wait a second. Chapter 3. Yeah, Solomon made a marriage, right? So Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so there's seed number one of his eventual and the kingdom's eventual downfall. Then you go to chapter four, and he's already got a guy named uh, Adoniram, the son of Abda, in charge of forced labor. Listen to me for your own sanctification and success. There is a good chance that on your way up to the top of the mountain, the seeds of your downfall are being sown in your life by the devil. Please understand this. If the devil can get these seeds sown in you on the way up, he can use them at the pinnacle to bring you down. This is why you want to pursue purity, as Paul tells Timothy. This is why you want to flee the youthful desires of lust. This is why you want to surround yourself with holy and righteous people. This is why you want to be in the word. Let the Holy Spirit purify you. Because if you do a good job, and I believe in success, and I believe that God wants his people to be successful. I, you look at the Jews, his natural-born uh, nation, and, and they are successful all over the world, and God bless them. That was the promise of Abraham coming to pass. But as spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham, this promise applies to us as well. Success will come, but when you're on the way up, be careful because the devil is going to very carefully sow seeds of destruction in your life on the way up and as you advance if you don't take the time to see purity confession of sin repentance turning from these things they will become destructive either for you or for those who follow you and that's exactly what we see here solomon is not a perfect king we need a perfect king a king who will not you know put people in charge of forcing us to serve him but serving him from the heart and so in that sense solomon is pointing to jesus he is not a perfect king but again 
Watch out for those seeds that the devil sows on the way up. He will try to use them to bring you down. And then finally, and look at this here in uh, the first six verses of 1 Kings 4, 1 to 6. Three mentions of priests. Uh, Zadok was priest, Abiathar was priest, and then Zabud, the son of Nathan, was priest. What do we see here? We see that if we're going to have godly uh, kingdoms, if we're going to have godly businesses, if we're going to have godly families, we need to be surrounded by godly influences, spiritual advisors, people who are priests to us. They, what do priests do in the Old Testament? They connect God to people, people to God. They represent God to the people and, and, and people to God. And so here's what you need in your life. You need someone speaking spiritual advisory into your life, somebody who will lead you spiritually and not just economically, not just um, business-mindedly, right? You need someone who will speak the word to you I think about our presidents, all of them have, at least as far as I know and can think back, all of them have had some sort of spiritual advisor. I believe that Biden's spiritual advisor is a uh, Franciscan priest. Um, uh, Trump had very famously Paula White, which I thought was a complete disaster. But anyway, you know, spiritual advisors will tell you a lot about the heart of that king. Who does he surround himself with when he's in charge? And I think about this. If we if we had better spiritual advisors, we'd probably have better kings and better administrations in our late in our nation. Well, the same is true for you in your job and your profession. Who do you have speaking the word of God into you? Uh, that's why I do this content so that you on your way to work. Some people tell me I, I listen to you. I don't watch you on the on the YouTube channel, but I listen to you and and on the podcast, and and it helps me on my way to work. I, I'm so glad to hear that. I, I hope that this brings. Uh, spiritual food into your life so that you can lead in the marketplace in a godly fashion. And so what you see here, though, is you see, you see spiritual advisory, right? You see friendship, okay? You see uh, the restoration of Abiathar, but you also see the seeds of his future destruction. And these are lessons for all of us. So back to the list, that's Solomon's government. He's got an administrative cabinet, just like our presidents do today. You'll notice that he's got uh, uh, the priests, these are your spiritual advisors. He's got secretaries. These are your administrators. He's got a recorder. These are your historical people. They tie you to where you came from so that you remember where you're going. Uh, he's got a commander of the army. That's uh, David's commander, Benaiah. That's the people who fight for you. You need people who will fight the battles that you can't fight. Uh, he's got, again, priests, spiritual. Uh, he's got um, then district officers, and these are people who are organizational. And then he's got advisors, personal advisors to the I'm sorry, personal advisors to the king. These are people who are close to him, friendships. Uh, and then he's got someone that lives in his house with him in charge of the palace. These are personal, intimate relationships. And, and then, of, go, of course, again, this last one, which, by the way, just one last note about the, uh, the forced labor from Abda. The name, uh, Adoniram, the name Abda, uh, the commentators believe is a Phoenician name, meaning that he probably came from Egypt. And isn't it kind of ironic that... <laughs> Solomon, who is the king of God's freed, former freed slaves and now nation, is picking up some leadership cues from Egypt where God's people were enslaved. Isn't it amazing how, how many times those who get delivered will then be the ones who enslave others? And it's just a lesson. As you climb the ladder in your financial world, in your uh, marketplace world, in your professional world, can you remember where you came from so that you don't do the same things to those to others that others did to you on your way up. Like, this is so important. Don't pick up on the bad cues from those who led you. 
acknowledge them, um, submit to them. I, I'm a big believer, even in, in when you're under bad leadership, submit yourself to that leadership because there's no authority except what God establishes. But then take lessons of how that hurt you so that you don't become the abuser for those who follow you. Because one day you will have authority and you will have responsibility and you want to take those lessons forward so that you can help empower people and not hurt people. So that's just the first six verses of 1 Kings chapter 4. And then if we go to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Solomon had 12 officers over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Notice what it says. He had 12 officers who provided food for the king and his household. And then each man had to make provision for one month in the year. These were their names, and there's a whole bunch of names. A couple things I want to make note of here on the text. Solomon, again, the seeds of the eventual destruction of the kingdom are being sown in Solomon as he's climbing the mountain of success. And here's seed number two. He's putting undue burden on the people. Think about it. He has 12 officers here, 12 officers to gather food for him for his household. Uh uh, king don't need to eat that much, right? <laughs> you, don't, you don't need to eat uh, that much food. You don't need to overtax. You don't need to overburden the people. Again, this will be a complaint given to his son, Rehoboam, when he takes the throne. By the way, God had already warned Israel through Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 14. He says that he will take the best of your fields and vineyards, your olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. In other words, the king that you request from among yourselves is going to really tax you, put undue financial burden on you. And I'm always amazed. This is why I'm a, <laughs> if you follow the deep end at all, I'm a small government guy, because the more power we give, the more they take. And even in the Bible, even God's best candidates for leadership did this to the people. You got to be careful. You got to be, be wise about this. And so, uh, only thing that I want you to note from the rest of this portion here is uh, the names. Okay, so verse 7 says that he had these 12 officers. Verse 8 says these are the names, and the names are listed there. Again, can we just, I'll spare you the torture of hearing me pronounce all the names because <laughs> they're just hard to pronounce. But I will make mention that all the way up to verse uh, 19, these names are mentioned and they are recorded. And I would just like to make one small little true statement about this. These names are written down, and they are not significant names in our modern world, right? They don't take off. Nobody is naming their kid uh, Ben Geber. <laughs> like verse, verse 13, Ben Geber uh, in Rehoboam. So, so we don't name, them, uh, name our kids these names, but they're there. They're recorded. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. God has your name recorded. If you serve in the kingdom of the true son of David, Jesus Christ, okay, so Solomon, son of David, Jesus, the true son of David, if you serve him, if he has called you, if he has appointed you, guess what? Your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. There is no removing it. God will be for you. God will record all that you do, and he will bring a reward for you, right? This is important for you to understand. You might not be significant in the eyes of people, but in heaven's annals, you are recorded. And I can't think of a better, better promise than that. Amen. So let's get now to the results of Solomon's administration. Because again, this talk today is about administration. The spiritual gift of administration, I believe it is very important. So let's go to verse 20. It says this, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea, and they ate and drank and were happy. Okay, let's stop there because it says what? They were as many as the sand of the sea. This is a direct 
fulfillment of prophecy. Let me flip back on the Bible cam uh, over to Genesis chapter 13, the promise Oh, this is so beautiful. The promise that God said to Abraham in verse 14 of Genesis 13 is this. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for the land you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. Verse 16, I will make your offspring as what? As the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will also be counted. And fast forward. Now look at, now just, this is why I do the Bible cam. Look at how much Bible text that is. <laughs> this is so important for you guys to get. Look at all of these pages, all of this history. We're talking about probably a millennia of history. God calls Abraham, what, around um, 1,500, well, a little bit less than a millennia. So we're talking about maybe 900 years of no, 600 years of human history. And finally, we get to the fulfillment of that promise here in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20. Indeed, as God promised Abraham, so it came to pass. It took years of battle, fighting, wars, conquests, good kings, bad kings, and all those kind of things in, in between to get them to that promise fulfilled. Why am, I, why am I pointing this out? Because that's how it's going to work in your life. You're going to get there. It's going to take time. You're going to see God fulfill his promises for you, it's just going to take a long time, much longer than you want, but it will be not a day late, unfortunately not a day early, but it will, it will happen. And, and the most important thing is, is that God's people, and let's go back to the Bible cam here because it's important to see this, they ate and they drank and they were happy. Oh, my friends, how rare is that in modern leadership times? The happiness index of America, all-time lows. People are not happy. People think that, I saw a chart the other day, 70% or 75% of Americans think that the country's in the wrong track. By the way, it hasn't been above 50 or below 50% on the, in that chart since I don't know when. I can't remember the last time that our country and the people were genuinely happy. And I have to believe that it has everything to do with the fact that we have become immoral. We have become corrupt. We have turned from God. We don't have godly leaders anymore. You look at the past few presidents themselves. They just have not been good. Look at your congressmen, your congressmen, your senators. Look at your mayors. Look at the people that are in charge, and they are corrupt in so many respects. You have insider trading. Some of the best stock plays in the past five years were by the heads of Congress. That should not be. Uh, I can think of Kelly Loeffler, who lost her election for re-election in Georgia a couple of years ago. She was really held to the fire for this. She made a bunch of money on the lockdown rules because she invested in the pro-lockdown companies right before the government shut down everything, and, and she paid the price for it, as she probably should have. And I think about that. How, how important it is for God to see his people, two things in the text, let's go back to it. They, eat, they, they ate and drank and they were happy. So God wants his people full. He wants his people healthy. He wants his people happy. Ladies and gentlemen, where does that come from? It comes from wise leadership. Wise leadership submitted to God under the authority of God, and living godly lives because God has blessed them. I think about what Philip Graham Ryken, a commentator in First Kings says. He says, quote, The people of God find their happiness in the prosperity of the king and his kingdom. The people of God find their happiness in the prosperity of the king and his kingdom. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, if you want prosperity now as a Christian, you can have it. But you've got to submit to the king, kingship of Jesus. You've got to put Jesus in the, in the authority of your life. You cannot 
trust the God, the, the, the worldly kings to do this for you. You find your happiness and your fulfillment in Christ, in him leading your family, being the Lord of your life. What is, missing, what is missing in our country? Happiness and satisfaction. Where do we find it? We find it in Christ Jesus. And so that's, that's what we see here in 1 Kings chapter 4 so far. Let's continue our study as we go to verse 21. Solomon ruled over all the kingdom from the Euphrates to the land of Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Verse 22, Solomon's provisions for one day was 30 cords of fine flour, 60 cords of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle. So even... Even grain-fed cattle was a thing back then. A <laughs> hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fat and fowl, for he had dominion uh, over all the region of the west of the Euphrates, from Tishva to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan, even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Uh, now you see again, prosperity is the nature of the game here. He's got a prosperous population. Why? Because he is a king who administrates and delegates properly. And where does he get the ability to do that? Back up to chapter three, the popular section of first Kings, he asked for wisdom and God gave it. So, so we're going to get to a point here that's very important. He knew he didn't have wisdom he saw his responsibility. He asked God for wisdom. He understood that wisdom is not for him, but for those who he led. God gave him wisdom, and the wisdom was enacted in administration. Why does God give you wisdom? For administration. Let's just finish up the chapter here. It says this about his, about his army. He had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots, 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month. Let, not, he, they, uh, let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses, swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. Again, what does it say in Deuteronomy chapter 17? We talked about this last week, uh, two weeks ago. What does it say? It says that the king must not go back to Egypt and, and obtain horses. Well, again, Solomon is an imperfect king. As much as he's administrating wisely and putting the right people in the in charge he's also breaking the law of deuteronomy concerning israel's king and he kings and he's establishing this this powerhouse of a war uh, of, a, of a of a military so that he can protect his kingdom this is just kind of amazing how there's a both and solomon's life uh verse 29 and god gave solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore some texts, by the way, say breadth of heart because the heart and the mind go together. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the peoples of the East and the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite, uh, and Heman, Kalkal, Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and birds, reptiles and fish. And people of all nations, listen to this, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom. So all you see here throughout the text is you see the benefits of godly wisdom. You see that God has answered his prayer to help him lead God's people. The wisdom is not just prospering the people. It's not just satisfying the people. They're living healthy and happy. 
the wisdom is spreading. People want wisdom more than ever before. Uh, last summer, not this past one, but the one before, I did a whole series of summer and I didn't even uh, on wisdom during the summer, and I didn't even know what I was going to talk about on the on the during the summer. Summer is hard for pastors because everybody goes away, and so I said, let me do a bunch of one-off messages on wisdom. To this day, people talk about those messages. And it's not because I was all that great. It's because people desperately need wisdom. <laughs> we, we need to know. And this is what people will be attracted to. And this is why the gift of administration is so important. You get God's wisdom. He gives you the gift of administration, how to lead, how to guide, how to delegate, how to prosper God's people, prosper your life. Other people want in on that. Do you know one of the best testimonies that you can have to your neighbor is a life well lived, a life well lived in accordance with God's word empowered by God's spirit and God's wisdom. That's what God wants for you. He wants that for you. So let's make some points and let's talk about the text now. Okay, so key verses, key verses in the text. We've got verses one to two. King Solomon was king over all Israel. These were his high officials. That's verse two. Then verse 20, it says that the people were many and they ate and drank and were happy. And then verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding. So all of this, all of this comes from God. All of this. He's got authority, but he also has responsibility. Please understand that you don't just have authority as God's king. You have responsibility. Let me unpack here now in an outline form where we are in the big picture of first Kings. So First Kings chapter three, Solomon, what? He prays for wisdom. First Kings chapter four, Solomon organized his kingdom, which tells us something. Here's what you need to see. Wisdom's fruit equals organization and planning. Wisdom's fruit means your life will be well ordered. I cannot stress this enough. Mm, please get this. Many of our problems are because our lives are disordered. In fact, I would go so far as to suggest that even our mental health is, a response, is, is the result, whether it's good or bad, of our life being well-ordered. If you don't have discipline, if you don't have order to your life, you will have bad mental health. If you don't have order to your life, you will have bad finances, which will lead to poor mental health. If you have poor decisions and you're not well-ordered in your relationships, particularly single people in your romantic relationships, it will lead to depression, anxiety, stresses, unhappiness, and you will not have good mental health. A lot of people want a pill or a doctor or some you know, seance or meditation practice to solve their mental health. But here's what, it, here's, here's what the Bible offers, wisdom. And wisdom comes from God and wisdom helps you do the ordering of your life. Oh, I can't stress this enough. Oh, I hope you get this. Order your life. Have, have a plan. Have, <laughs> have a purpose. Have an idea what you should be doing. Organizing your day. Organizing your week. Organizing your month. Organizing your year. Where do you want to be? Do you, gotta, do you write it down? Do you have discipline in this area? Because this kind of discipline will lead to great prosperity, which brings me to the fruits of organization and planning, happy and healthy people. Plan your life. Well, how do I plan my life? Wisdom. Well, where does wisdom come from? God. Got it? These are so important. Now, that being said, let's talk about the gift of administration. The gift of administration, Peter Wagner wrote a book. It's called this, uh, Your Spiritual Gifts Can Help Your Church Grow. Uh, it's written for pastors, but I want to share it with you because I, he unpacks what the gift of administration is. It is 
the special ability that God gives to some members of the body of Christ to understand clearly the immediate and long-range goals of a particular unit of the body of Christ and to devise and execute effective plans for the accomplishment of those goals. Now, he's talking about this for the church, but it can be also used for your family, for your business, and for your, your whole life. Peter Wagner also talks about in that, te- in that book that uh, the Greek word for administration is a nautical term for the ship's captain. The word is actually kubernesis, and it's actually referring to steering a ship. It's the guy who stands at the helm and he turns left or right, right? Uh, port, starboard, whatever. The captain needs to know a few things. A good captain sees the horizon. He's looking long-term. He's, he's got his nautical instruments pointing him in a direction, and he understands, I've got to go you know, uh, that direction. And then he, this is important, delegates responsibilities to the crew to the effect that they get there. This is the gift of administration. Uh, you might have this gift, and it is a spiritual gift. The word administration comes from First King, uh, First Chronicles twelve. Let's go there for a second on the Insta Bible, uh, the Bible Camp. First, First Corinthians, uh, Corinthians chapter twelve. It says this, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping. Look at this next one, administrating and various kinds of tongues. A lot of churches love to talk about tongues, but they never talk about administrating. They never talk about order. In fact, the more you focus on tongues, I've found in my history, the less order there is in the church. Anyway, uh, just notice, though, that you've got these gifts appointed in order. Apostles who were the ones who carried the message of Jesus to the known world at the time. Prophets who prophesied in the name of the Lord. Teachers like pastors like me who teach you God's word. People who work miracles, gifts of healing. These are still alive and well today. Helping and then administrating. And I think that administrating is, is, is after these because once you establish the church through signs, wonders, and healing, in the first century anyway, you need someone to bring order to that church. You need someone who will say, okay, this is what God has done in our lives. Now let's get to a place where we can create an environment where people will be sustained through or in this work that God has begun in our church. Now, again, it applies to your family. It applies to your business. Are you an administrator? Do you have, as 1 Corinthians 12 says here, the gift of administration? Let me ask you a question. Here's a a couple practical tests. Do you enjoy a desk? Do you enjoy the office? Not the show. I mean, your office. Do you enjoy meetings, phone calls, numbers, details, spreadsheets, emails? Do you love to network? Network might be also a leadership gift, but I also believe it's an administrator gift. Okay, so these are the people who love to administrate. I believe if you like these things, you know, you're not a big picture person, but you are a person who says, okay, that's where we got to go. Let me help you get there. And you're great at that. You love to meet with people. You love the one-on-one. You love, you love to coach. You love to empower people. You love to see people fulfill their God-given uh, dream, right? And, and this is the gift of administration that God has put into you uh, through the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about this enough. And I actually would like to suggest that, that the gift of administration might be the most lacking gift, or at least the, the most lacked to be publicly acknowledged gift in the body of Christ. We love great preaching, and we should. I love great preaching. We love great singing. We love the idea of healings. We love miracles. Who doesn't love those things? But administration's right there on that list in 1 Corinthians 12 
for a reason. And you need to understand that a lot of times the reason why churches don't grow is because the pastor has been to seminary, but he's never been to a business class. He's never been to an administrative course. So what, what happens is, and this is one of the scourges of Western civilization in their training of pastors. They send these guys for three years to interpret scripture and learn Greek and Hebrew and theology, but they never learn how to organize the church. But it's just a shame because the church needs organization. I'm going to give you a couple of texts to prove to you what I'm saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. God says all things should be done decently and what? In order. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 14. When Jesus is talking about counting the cost to follow him, he says, don't you guys sit down and discuss the cost of building a tower or going to war? Don't you discuss whether or not you can win the war? In other words, there should be someone who is sitting down and crunching the numbers. There should be some administration here. Let's go to Acts chapter 6, a very famous passage where you have the complaint of the Hellenist um, widows because they were neglected in the daily food, uh, food distribution because the, Greek, the, um, the Hebrew widows were getting it first. And in verse 2 of chapter 6 of Acts, it says the 12, that's the apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we give up preaching to serve tables. In other words, we need administrators. And so it says what in verse 3? Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Right there it is. There, Wisdom to take care of this responsibility. You don't have the church. You, I'm sorry. You have a huge church problem in Acts chapter 6 that is resolved through the administrative gift that comes about from wisdom. I love the fact that the apostle said, did not say, ah, just give this to anybody. No, find men who are full of the spirit because only God's spirit can properly administrate things in the church. And then I already quoted 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. So you've got to acknowledge this gift. You've got to see the value of this gift and you cannot afford to ignore this gift. Now, let me talk about in detail what the gift of administration looks like, its strengths, its weaknesses, and then what to be warned of if you have the gift of administration. The reason why I want to bring this up is because there are people in your life that have this gift or you might have this gift, and too often they are judged wrongly because people don't, they've never been taught to appreciate the gift. Every gift of God in the church, we need proper context to understand that the person we are trying to get um, red ink from is a blue ink person, right? And this is a lot of times where conflict in the church happens. We want to get red ink from a blue ink Christian or blue ink from a red ink Christian. And you've got to stop. Let people be what God has called them to be. There are people that want something from me that I just don't have to give. I can't do it. And, and I, I hesitate to say what that is because you might judge me for it. I'm a big picture guy. I'm a leader guy. I'm a vision guy. I'm a guy who says, let's go and, and claim that mountain. Well, how are we going to do it? I have no idea. That's the administrator's job, right? So, so people want organization for me, but I, I don't have that. I've got the picture. I've got the vision of where we should be. I got to surround people around me who have the vision of how we get there. Another thing is I'm about preaching the word and, and God's work to change your heart and, and overhaul your spirit and life. But what I don't have is empathy. I really, I don't. I, it's not a spiritual gift, by the way. <laughs> uh, it, is, it, it is resident in the heart of Jesus when he looked on the crowd and he saw and he felt compassion for them. But 
I have very low empathy. So I need to surround myself with people who have empathy. And, and, and when people try to get empathy from me, they get very badly disappointed. That's why I had to surround the church, surround my leadership with people who can empathize. My elders, the elders of our church, the people who lead our small groups. These are the people who I trust to be empathetic for people. Anyway, all of that to say this. There are gifted administrators in the church. They need to be acknowledged for the strengths that they bring. Let's go and talk about those strengths. Uh, this is from Elmer Towns in his book, Evangelism and Church Growth, a Practical Encyclopedia. And I just take them because I think that he's right on with these. The strength of administrator. Number one, the ability to see the overall picture and think of long-range objectives. So in that sense, I guess I do have that gift. But, but number two, the ability to delegate tasks to other people. They don't want to do it all. They don't want to do it all. Number three. They are task orientation rather than person or need orientation. They are about getting the job done. They would rather um, they would rather sit down with the paperwork than the people work. They love those kind of things. Again, it's going to lead to a, a weakness, but we have to just take them for who they are. Number four, the ability to counsel and motivate others regarding the task. Number five, tending not to be a perfectionist, but rather judging tasks by objectives. And this is important for those who have the gift of administration. They aren't going to worry about, is it 100%? By the way, perfectionism is one of the worst curses you can have in your life. It stops you from obtaining your goals. It stops you from moving forward. So many people never move forward in life because they are perfectionists. You need an administrator who says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about perfection. Worry about the task. Take the next step. Get the job done. Okay, those are the strengths. Let's talk about the weaknesses of the administration gift. And there are three, particularly from Elmer Towns' book here. Number one, appearing to want to get out of work because of delegation. <laughs> I have had that actually uh, come back to bite me. Some people think about that with me. I, I, I'm a big a delegator. I don't have any problem with that, but... But anyway, watch out for these people. It doesn't, they're not lazy. They're just very good at empowering other people to do the job. Number two, they appear insensitive to people and inflexible because they want the work done and they are long range focused. Okay, we gotta get to that mountain. Uh, we're never gonna get to that mountain if we don't do these things. Oh, you had a death in the family. Oh, you are going through some struggles. Oh, this is, I, I don't have time to deal with that. We gotta get to this place. We gotta move. Like, okay, understand there are places. God gives people the gift of helps as it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28. But then he gives other people the gift of administration. Please don't try to get red ink from a blue ink Christian. <laughs> Please understand. And, and I'm not giving excuses. Please, I, I don't want to give excuses. Well, I, I'm an administrator. Otherwise, I don't care about you. We, 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 we got to love our neighbor regardless of our spiritual gift, right? But can we acknowledge that these people might be administrators and then put them in administrative roles so that they flourish and they don't get frustrated? Then number three, being perceived as a glorified bureaucrat Sometimes that can be the case. Now, some warnings for the gift of administration. Uh, be warned if you are prone to the gift of administration. Number one, uh, you will become power hungry because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? You might be accused or you might be tempted to use people to accomplish goals and the requisite of that would be manipulation. Be careful because that is a very common uh, temptation for those who need to get somewhere. They need to get so somewhere so quickly that they will manipulate people into doing it. And then number three, and this is big. Oh, I wish I could. Yes, no, actually, what am I talking about? I can. I can underline this on the screen. They will lower standards to use anyone in spite of character. And I can attest to the fact that I have been there. I have been there. In my weakness of administration, I have said, well, they've got a pulse. 
and they're really willing to do it, so let me give them the job. And they don't have the character, and they are a disaster. I have learned the hard way uh, to search out character rather than just use anyone. You know, uh, one of the things that I would warn people who are in leadership positions is be careful of the people who want to have the power. You've got to be very, these are people who will, they will fake character in order to get the power and they don't have the, they don't have the character to sustain the power. So these are the weaknesses. These are the strengths. These are the warnings for people who are gifted with the gift of administration. I hope that I am speaking to some people who are starting to think, maybe that's me. I hope you're learning right now about this gift and maybe God is stirring something in you through the Holy Spirit to bring this gift to bear wherever you are in work. Again, like I said, in the workplace, in the government, in the church, in the home, wherever you are. So in sum, let's talk about this. The Holy Spirit provides the gift of administration that brings order and joy to the people of God. This is a Holy Spirit gift. First Corinthians chapter 12 is all about the Holy Spirit. And then it's talking about administration. How often do we think that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then anything could happen at any moment and it's, and it's, and it's just organized chaos. No, 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 no. There's also a time to sit down and say, let's make plans. Let's get straight our facts. Let's get straight our details. Let's figure out how we're going to get there in an orderly and decent way. And that gift too comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you crazy. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you restless. The, what Reckless. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you fly off the handle at the least bit of a whim. No, the Holy Spirit brings order and decency. In the Bible, do you understand some of the greatest heroes of the Old Testament were gifted with the gift of administration? Uh, see Joseph under Pharaoh. See Daniel under Nebuchadnezzar. Um, see uh, Mordecai under uh, uh, King Xerxes in Esther. Uh, Ruth. You can look at uh, a number of people in the Old Testament who are, are biblical heroes. They were not the number one. They were the number two, and they had that gift. And this can be used and must be used in the church, and it must be used in business. If we do not empower the administrators, we will exhaust ourselves and our resources, and we will end up with bad leaders. Pastors who don't have the gift of administration and they love to preach and teach God's word need to find themselves some associates who have that gift and don't want to preach and teach. My executive pastor never preaches, never preaches, doesn't want to preach. Why? Because he wants to administrate. And I value him for that. And I want him to do that. He is a pastor of administration in our church. I think about Exodus chapter 18 when Moses is visited by his father-in-law Jethro and he celebrates what God had done in delivering Israel out of Egypt. But then the Bible says that Jethro sticks around and he watches Moses and Moses is exhausted from watching over the people all day. And what does Jethro say? He says, uh, what you're doing is not good. This is Exodus chapter 18, verse 17. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do this alone. Now, he says, obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you that you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make known, make them know the way in which they must walk and, the way, and what they must do. So you got to, Moses, you got to paint the big picture here. Okay, paint the big picture of what God wants for his people. But now, verse 21, what does he say? He says, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place these men over the people as chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. That's administration. 
There's going to be some thousand men leaders, some hundred men leaders, some 50 men leaders, some 10 men leaders. Find them, empower them, release them. Let them judge, verse 22, the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and I love this prompt, if you do this, God, oh man, check this out will direct you. Why? Because he's a God of order. He's a God of administration. He's a God of releasing others into places of authority to help carry the load. You will be able to endure, he says, and this people will also go to their place in peace. And just look at that word, endure. If you do this, God will be with you and you will endure. uh, Moses, this is for your health. This is for your spiritual health. This is for your mental health. This is for your physical health because you cannot carry this load alone. Okay, that's talking about it. Let's tap into truth and close out the episode. So tapping into truth, number one, God is a God of order. And if you look at the entire uh, kingdom of God, the rule of God, everywhere God rules, he establishes order. Well, where does God first establish order? In the creation, he uh, creates space and then he fills the space with authority, right? Uh, day, ch- day one of creation, what does it say? God created the light. And then day four, so you have two tables, t- two tables of the six-day creations, the first three days and the second three days. In the first three days, God creates spaces. In the second three days, God creates, fills those spaces with authority, So day one corresponds with day four. Day one, God said, let there be light. Day four, God says, now let me put the moon in place and the sun in place and the stars in place, and they are going to rule. And that is a picture, friends. It's a picture of how God works. He creates space, and then he fills that space with authority, with order. Uh, Then you can, if you look at the animal kingdom, if you look at the insect kingdom, if you look at just the, the nitty gritty of our creation, you can see God has placed ants in order and birds fly together, right? And uh, bees are organized and they have a queen and there's all these different levels of authority, even in the sm- smallest segments of, of, our, of God's creation. Think about Proverbs chapter 30. I don't know if you want to take time with me. Um, I'm not actually asking you that. We're going to take time <laughs> because it's my show. If you go to Proverbs chapter 30 and uh, look with me here on the Bible cam, you're going to see something beautiful in the created order. These are not the words of Solomon, but the words of uh, Agur, look at verse 24 of Proverbs 30. Four things on the earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. Ants are people not strong. They provide food in the summer, organization. Rock badgers are people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. How do they get their organization? The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank, organization. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it's in king's palaces. Um, I don't know if that has anything to do with organization, but the point of the matter is, is that even in the smallest segments of creation, God has established order. So if you don't have order in your life, you're not living into the auspices of God's rule in your life. Okay, so that's the first thing, in creation. Number two, in government, there are kings, there are princes, there are administrators, there are presidents and senators, and there are leaders in authority that God has put in place. And that goes back to uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2, that there's no authority in place except what God has established. Let's, Let's be subject to authority. And let's follow them. Then number three, in the church, you've got pastors, you've got elders. These these terms in the Greek, the uh, episkopos, uh, poimon for shepherd, episkopos for bishop, some people say. Uh, Presbyteros, another word for shepherd. Um, and, and these people give rule and authority. They're, I'm sorry, they are given rule and authority by God. Let's go back to the Bible cam. Got a verse for you here, very important. All the way over to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember 
Uh, your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, consider their way of life. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. A church will endure as God's people in, uh, submit to God's leadership in place in the church. And so that is a very important structure of authority that God has put in place in his in his order. And then number four, in the home, God has made uh, man the head of white, the white, the woman and the woman. She is to run the household and care for the children and raise them and train them. And the father also train and discipline children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. So you have parental authority and it's in the 10 commandments, isn't it? Honor your father and mother because then your family will endure. You will endure. You will endure if this is the case for you. You submit to authority. So government, the home, the church, uh, creation, all of them have uh, uh, authority structures in place by God Almighty. Let me sum all this up by saying authority is for responsibility. And I can't stress that enough. Authority is for responsibility. It's not just about power. It's not just about being in charge. It's, it's about taking charge for people's lives, to help them live happy and healthy. And so much of our country needs so much of this right now. So uh, just a quick reminder from last week's talk about wisdom, just to remind you guys, it's not for you only, it's for those who come after you and serve with you and perhaps under you. You might not have anybody under you. It doesn't mean you can't have wisdom and you can't have influence and leadership in that place. In fact, some of God's best leaders were never absolutely in charge. They helped the people who were in charge. Let me sum this back up from last week. We said that wisdom looks like this. It's selfless, it's serving, it's giving. And it's all those things so that others may live. But now we can add it's administering. Wisdom, chapter uh, 3 to 4 in 1 Kings, leads to Solomon administering his kingdom in, in wise and orderly structure. This is, this is important. It's, it's tremendously beneficial to you wherever you are. Get yourself God's wisdom from God so that you might live an orderly life to the glory of God. Practical advice now, because I hear some of you probably saying, I don't have any of that, and this is Greek to me. And so I want to give you some practical advice along those lines. If you have this gift part, if you don't have this gift, sorry, if you don't have this gift, get someone in your life that does. <laughs> you know what? If you're thinking about getting married and you are not organized, you might want to, you might want to marry somebody that is organized. Um, if you have a business and, and you can't get traction, you got this great vision for the business, but you can't get traction for it. Get somebody who's organized. Get somebody who loves spreadsheets. Get somebody who loves numbers. Get them around you. Um, this is important. This is going to power you together because you can't do everything yourself. If you know someone with this gift, and I can't stress this enough, acknowledge it. Reward them. Celebrate them. Tell them you appreciate them because though they don't get the accolades being the figurehead of the organization or the family, their administration helps you succeed, okay, or helps other people succeed. So if you know someone with this gift, acknowledge them, praise them, lift them up and encourage them because I don't know about you, but if I was dealing with numbers all day, to hear somebody say great job would be huge to me. Number three, remember this gift comes from God. You can have the greatest potential, the greatest people, the greatest product, the greatest service in the world, the greatest idea in the world. But if you cannot get it organized, you will fail. One of the great um, historical uh, mishandlings of uh, administration has to be 
the federal government's response to Hurricane Katrina. It actually sunk uh, George W. Bush's presidency. He had just been reelected. Uh, he looked like he was, you know, a great president at that time. Hurricane Katrina hits the nation literally a year later, and the government just falls on its face. And he is unfortunately remembered very poorly to this day because of his response to Hurricane Katrina. That's the problem when you fail in administration. It can take a good name and a lack of administration can destroy it like that. You need administration because administration helps you succeed. So let's wrap this up. I got one quote for you here from uh, Dale Ralph, D Ralph Davis in from his uh, commentary on First Kings. And I thought this quote was too valuable not to share with you. It says, biblical wisdom is not only concerned with moral and accurate judgments, but also with efficient and orderly structure that keep chaos and waste from ruining running life. Some of us deplore having to give attention to administrative and organizational matters, and, and one can so tightly structure life that one squeezes the breath out of it. Nevertheless, a few moments in a chaotic home or in a workplace lacking clear lines of authority can quickly create a thirst for order. And, other, and I just wanted to like kind of mention this first part of the quote because it really caught me. Biblical wisdom is not just about moral and accurate judgments. It's about orderly structure. It's not just about being good. It's about how we do that good. And that is where I kind of want to leave off today with this idea that you've got to do the right thing, but then you've got to know how to do the right thing. Remember what Jesus said about himself in Luke chapter 11, verse 31. He said, someone or something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Solomon is here. So if Solomon in his authority and leadership had wisdom, how much more do we need that today? We, the church, should be orderly and proper and decent. We should show the world what great business administration looks like. We should show the world what great management looks like. We should show the world what great government looks like, to be honest with you. And that brings me to voting. And because the midterm elections are coming and some of you might think as a Christian, your vote doesn't matter. It absolutely does. This might seem like deep end content. And I did talk about it last night at the deep end, but I want to talk about it now. You need to vote and you need to vote for people who will lead humans orderly and the order that comes from God, according to the order that comes from God. Vote for the capult. I know, I know everybody's flawed. I know everybody's sinful. I know you're oftentimes picking the lesser of two evils. I get it. But you have a responsibility. People died. They, they bled for you to have the opportunity to vote. It is, it is imperative for Christians to vote so that they at least make their voice heard, even in the number. Say your guy loses or your girl loses. Okay, fine. But at least you put, you put your number up there. We have a vice president who raised money to get violent protesters out of jail. They committed crimes. She raised money to give them bail. She now denies it, but she did it. And that record is disgraceful. We have governors who embraced lawless riots two years ago in the streets in the name of social justice. We have legislators who want to depopulate prisons. We need to vote them out. Disorder is rampant. And when there's no disorder, there's lawlessness and the people are not healthy and the people are not happy, and this matters to you, and it matters to God. If you didn't watch The Deep End last night, I talked about this. Make sure that you check that out. The Deep End happens every Tuesday night, but not this Tuesday. Oh, gosh, 
I just double spoke there. It does happen on Tuesdays at 7.30 here on youtube.com slash Tim Hatch Live. If you have not subscribed yet, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you're hitting that like button and the, and the share button. The 10 Questions with Tim is back on next Thursday. So there's no deep end. There's no deep dive. But good news, there is the 10 Questions with Tim show. Get your questions submitted. If you would do me a favor, like, share, subscribe, support the channel. I would be very humbled by any and all financial support to get this content out farther than ever before. It's been an absolute pleasure to bring this content to you. I hope it orders your life in the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Have a great night. Uh, 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 uh,